let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace when we make mistakes. Uh, we ask that you would uh, send your spirit now as we, um, as we open your word. We thank you for the acts of the apostles, and particularly your act in bringing your servant uh, Paul to yourself from uh, the times when he was ravaging the church. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the witness that he has given. And um, we ask, Lord, that you would make us faithful to it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are um, talking about chicken and waffles. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I just can't get my mind off of it. Um, we are talking about the conversion of St. Paul, the conversion of Saul to Paul. And I actually had um, six pictures of uh, like classic artists, uh, Caravaggio, Michelangelo, Rubens, Palma de Hoven, and I had uh, they, and I lost the um, connector from my computer to the TV, and I'm really sorry about that because uh, they're really cool. So you just Google image conversion of Saint Paul, and you'll get some really really cool um, things. And if you would like to um, buy me a, a, a new dongle, that'd be great too. Um, just kidding. I'm responsible for that for myself. Some really, really cool um, images there because this is something that has captured the imagination and the attention of uh, of artists uh, for well, and since since it happened, I I, I assume. Uh, I said in the blurb that went on in E News that it was one of the single most important events in all of Western history. And the reason I uh, maintain that, not that I'm a great historian or anything, but I, but we understand. I mean, Christianity is what it is, largely because of Saint Paul and his writings. And Christianity shaped Western history, uh, shaped the Roman Empire in the, after the second century uh, through the conversion of Constantine, shaped uh, all of the way that Europe um, uh, sort of became the Reformation and all of this. And then um, as it went out in colonization and, and, and so forth. So um, none of that would have looked the way it looked. I'm sure there would have been development without St. Paul. But there was, none of it would have looked the way it looked for good or ill. Now, now St. Paul wasn't responsible for the bad. But, but there are plenty of sinful people who took what he said and, and weaponized it. But, um, but there are... Um, uh, it wouldn't look the way it looked without St. Paul. And so, uh, so his conversion is an incredibly important moment in history. If we were to look back, so the, the passage is Acts 9, 1-31, and then we'll also look at his first missionary journey, uh, Acts 13-14. We are in chapters 76 and 77 of the Essential 100. Next week, I think we're 78, 79, and 80, if I remember right, it is the entire back half of the book of Acts. So 15-28, uh, and we will cover that verse by verse next week. Um, we will. It, it'll be uh, really broad, and we, we won't be able to look at um, uh, even a percentage of it. But much, well, not much of a percentage of it. But it will be um, hopefully to see the the scope of, of what that that section covers. But we're in Acts chapter nine. But if you were to look back at Acts chapter eight, verses one through three, this is what what it says. And Saul approved of his execution. That probably should be in uh, chapter 7. That was talking about the, um, the stoning of Stephen. Saul was there, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day 
a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He entered, uh, no, sorry, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So violently, Saul, the Pharisee, the z- zealous young man who was uh, a genius in terms of his uh, Judaic studies, who was climbing the ranks faster than anybody else around him. We sat at the feet of the best teachers. We know all this because of his writings later as he explained himself. But he was violent. Um, He was not proclaiming a message of love and mercy. Uh, He was siding himself with the judgment side of of the Old Testament, I I suppose. He was... uh, and, And you can understand... In, in a real sense, you can understand his zeal and his um, compulsion to rid the Jewish faith of those who would seemingly come against it, saying that they were saved not by adhering to the law, the sacred law that they, the Jewish people had been entrusted with from God Almighty on high. These Christians, these followers of the way, were saying that no longer are we saved by adhering to the law, but simply by love. Simply by uh, the death of a man who uh, was just as human as you and I and claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed himself to forgive sins. You can, if you put yourself in Paul's shoes, you can understand a little bit about why he would have been so angry and so desperate uh, to rid himself, uh, rid Judaism of these heretics. If you want to, I mean, we understand now on this side of it, and Paul came to understand, of course, uh, what it was. One thing to to understand and um, uh, about the, about Saul becoming Paul is that Saul is his Jewish name, and Paul is, as I understand it, uh, the Greek corresponding name for Saul. He he. It was not like where Jacob in the Old Testament wrestled with God and said, bless me, and God gave him a new name, Israel. Or Abram, and God renamed him Abraham. Um, we see that Saul just was sort of became, as he went to the Gentiles and went around the Greek-speaking uh, land, he became known as Paul. So um, he was a man of great intellect and, um, and great tenacity. And uh, just think about uh, the unlikeliness. I mean, if you were Jesus, is this the guy that you would pick to be your primary interpreter? Not me. Um, I like, you know, I tend to go with people who are sort of on board. You know, like he. um, It it was although I don't have the power to change hearts uh, and minds like like Jesus did, but it would. It just seems. Scandalous, and in fact, it was unbelievable. At least at first, you can imagine those who were in Damascus going, "Wait, hold on a second, what? You want him to do what?" And then he comes back to Jerusalem, and and on both sides, they were incredulous. All right, well, let's uh, let's take a look at, at this passage.
Um, Saul is, uh, as we understand, as we see, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he has this sort of bloodlust. And I can imagine that it starts off, and there's a sort of goodness about how he wants to uh, cleanse the, the land uh, in, a, in a way perhaps that recalls uh, the cleansing of the land that the, that, the, uh, that the Jews who came into the promised land were, were called to. And yet quickly it leaves from this desire to glorify the Lord to a, just a sort of bloodlust, a, a lust for power that is um, in a sense baptized with his religiosity. And that, that becomes, I mean, that's, that becomes, that's not unique to Judaism. We see that in all, potential in all religions. He's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, Damascus uh, in Syria, we're it's still I mean, a very ancient city then and, and 2,000 years more so now. Uh, we are um, not told why he chose Damascus, simply that he, that he did. It was outside of his jurisdiction, and there must have been, after the stoning of Stephen, there must have been some Christians who went there. I mean, you can imagine it's a commerce uh, area. And so, um, letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way is capitalized, that's what they were at this point calling Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. This is depicted in various ways in these pictures. It's really, it usually looks as if there's been a laser being shot and all the people and the horses and everything were scattered. Now, there no horses mentioned in here, by the way. But, um, but that's where all the artists go. Um, this light, where am I? Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, and they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Saul, or St. Paul, never lost his awe that Jesus would have chosen him. If you look throughout his letters, as he talks about this to the churches, uh, he is constantly referring to himself as a former persecutor of the church. As if to say, if God can use me, then He sure as heck can use you. Paul is very comfortable with us feeling that way. That's why he calls himself the chief of sinners to Timothy, right? That's towards the end. Somebody made a point to me that he starts out calling himself a uh, that he was zealous for his faith, and later as in his mid, sort of mid, middle writings, he really gets into him being a persecutor of the church and how awful that was. In his very latest writings, he says, I'm, I'm just the chief of sinners. I'm, I'm the worst one ever. As he gets closer and closer to Christ, his sin becomes darker and dark, darker um, in his own mind. Though he's not, 
It's not like he just carries that around in shame. It's his glory now because he's been redeemed from it. Anyway, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. He was a... Um, he was a man of great intellect and tenacity. He was both Jew and Roman citizen. But we don't think that God was, or Jesus was looking down and said, Oh, Saul has the qualities I'm looking for. So I'll choose him. Rather, Jesus gave Saul the qualities he was looking for and the story of redemption he needed to further his own purposes. You see the difference there? He didn't say, Oh, I, I can't... I, he, He's the one that has the, the gifts I need. He said, I'm going to use him for a redemption story, and I'm going to use the gifts I've already given him. Um, the importance of the conversion of St. Paul. We, half of our New Testament um, is written by Paul. Virtually all of our understanding of the cross as sacrificial, with the exception of the book of Hebrews, which emphatically was not written by um, Paul, although... Um, there was a tradition in the church that accredited uh, Hebrews to St. Paul, but conservative, liberal, every, all serious scholars um, say that it was not at this point. We read John 3.16 through the lens of what St. Paul taught us. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We understand that, that is a sacrificial substitutionary atonement because of what Paul wrote us. Um, now, he wasn't first. I mean, St. Peter, if you remember at Pentecost, uh, his, his sermon calls for repentance for the forgiveness of sins, uh, pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Paul is, for all of us New Testament people, the primary lens. Um, and it doesn't look, the way it's written, it doesn't look as if Jesus finally got through to him. Like he's finally... He's been trying to get through to Paul to Saul, and he finally gets through. It looks more like the way it's written is that Jesus was just re- waiting to the right moment, which means, I mean, I mean, what about all of those who were persecuted? What about Stephen? What about all that happened under the watchful eye of Saul? Like somehow, like God didn't cause that, and yet He allowed it, and it was under His sovereignty. It's not caused by God and it's under His sovereignty at the same time. Like, if we were to take off of St. Paul for just a minute and think about suffering in your own life, it's not caused by God, but yet it is under His sovereignty like at the same time. I mean, maybe I don't want to say it's not caused by God. In fact, if I say it's, if I take away that God did this, then I take away any like potential for good in uh, your life because then even God can't handle I don't mean that. I mean, it's under His sovereignty. Did I mean He inflicted on you? I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to answer that, but I'm just saying that, that it's, it's straight. It's a, um, we have to let that balance be there. It's not written as if Jesus finally made it through. He's been trying. He's, been, he's really sorry about the people that got killed and drove off to prison, but he, he just couldn't get there in time. That's not the way it's written. It's written to say, here's a redemption story. And so when you are suffering, suffering, whatever it is, whatever grief that you are having, you can understand that it is under God's sovereignty and there will be a redemption story somehow. Yes? It brings to mind when you put it to that um, mental, mental step-taking. It reminds me of Jesus coming upon Lazarus' sisters. Jesus coming upon Lazarus' sisters. Yes, that's right. Yes. 
gotten here, this would not have happened. That's right. And, and Jesus's viewpoint being completely different. Yeah, Jill said if um, if it, it reminds her of of Jesus's viewpoint being so different than Mary and Martha when Lazarus is If you had been here, my brother would not have died. No, no, this was I got this right. I got this. Um, so. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I wish, again, I wish I hadn't lost that thing because there's this awesome picture painted by someone of uh, Ananias who, who, you know, who knew what Ananias really looked like. Kind of, in the picture, he kind of looks like Larry a little bit. But, uh, but he's, um, his beard's a little bit wider. But um, holding his hands up like this and hand, with his hands hit over the eyes of a of Saul on his knees. Like, it's just the coolest picture. Anyway, um, imagine a really cool picture right there. Uh, yeah, I'll just sketch it out real quick. Uh, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of... T- Isn't that amazing that it was at a house of a man named Judas? <laughs> Um, in the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands uh, on him so that he might retain his sight. And Ananias answered, What? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Another translation would say, um, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now, Ananias is not struck down for his disbelief. This is a pretty reasonable and rational response. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, I mean, right there, I love that. Brother Saul, he's treating this man as his brother in Christ already, because he's been told to, by, not because he felt it, but because God told him to. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. Who can know the mind of God except the Spirit of God? That's from our passage in, in, um, in, in worship this morning, 1 Corinthians. Just as you could never have predicted that God would incarnate and crucify and resurrect His Messiah, neither could you predict that God would choose a persecutor of the church to be His greatest champion, and neither could you predict your story. Right? Some of you have amazing testimonies. Like the places you've been. You can make movies about what, you know, what you've been through. Some of us have boring testimonies. I was a good kid and I met Jesus. I'm kind of still a good kid. You know, like, like, um, but every story is 
important because it is a story of a sinner being saved. Uh, It is a story of God's grace. And while movies don't often get made about my kind of story, lots of people really are grateful to hear that it was just kind of a regular old thing uh, because that gives them comfort that theirs is just a regular old thing. I can remember, I think, I don't know if I said this before, I can remember uh, when I was, I think, a freshman in college, and I went to a Bible study, and this guy had come in, and like two days earlier, uh, he had been like a drug dealer or something like this. And he had gotten held up at gunpoint and shoved in a trunk and, um, and made, forced to empty out his ATM. And he said, God, if you're there, I'll give my life to you. And, uh, and he got out, somehow escaped, and um, ran to his friend that he knew was a Christian. And he showed up and gave his testimony. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I had a story like that. <laughs> I wish I'd been held at gunpoint and just stuffed in a trunk. You're like, no, I don't. You know, like, you know, what you want for your children is boring testimonies, right? You don't want them to make, you know, you know, we don't want a movie made about your kid. But, um, but if they, if they have a, a crazy testimony, right? But they have a testimony of God's faithfulness, then praise God. Like, don't deny your child's defeat, and I'm speaking to myself, but uh, a friend of mine who is a counselor, he wasn't my counselor, but I did sit on his couch a few times, but he said, he said to me, um, he, he said to me, uh, don't, how did he say it? Don't deny your children the mistakes God will use in their life. Something, something very, it was profound to me at the time. Again, my story, not that dramatic. But it actually took a long time. I was really in seminary before I feel like the... the, I mean, I was a Christian, I think, but I was a good kid. But all I wanted to be was accepted. Like, I just wanted to be accepted. And I I had friends, but I wasn't like... They weren't the popular kids, so I wanted... For whatever reason, they weren't kind of good enough. I wanted the popular kids to accept me. What I found when I kind of came around people who knew Jesus was that Jesus accepted me. And, like, I was... That was enough for me. But that didn't get me away from my performancism and my desire to look good and, and kind of be the best and all this stuff because I still wanted people to accept me. And so it really wasn't, I mean, there's a series of things in college and, and then even, like I said, in seminary where I really began to understand grace. It's really not about me doing what, uh, what I can for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for me, living in that rest. And what I do for Jesus is important, but um, but it's it's not what Christianity is about, right? So, um, so your story. I, mean, I want you to think about your conversion. We don't have time for everybody to tell their conversion story. In your story, maybe I, I never was really converted. I grew up in the church, and I just kind of, here I am today. I mean, I, I um, and my faith has grown over over time. But most of you have a, a story about, in some way, where your faith ceased to be the, the faith that you were raised in and became your own faith. Um, you know, some of you have found this tradition from a very different... Some of you grew up this way, and that's great. I'm glad you're here. I did. But um, some of you came from a very different religious tradition, but found your way here as part of that process of it becoming your own faith. And sometimes that, that happens around our late teenage years. Uh, sometimes it happens 
when you're six, and sometimes it happens when you're 66 or 96. You know, that's just kind of God's story for you. But every story about a person coming to faith is like St. Paul's. You may not have gotten um, knocked off a horse that may or may not have been there, or you may not, um, you, you know, some you know artist isn't going to capture the you know the conversion of St. Lynn Geiger or anything. But the um, Stover, excuse me, um, the um, but the um, but nevertheless, uh, it is a story that made the angels sing. Well, Ananias uh, puts his hand over over the eyes of Paul and uh, Saul, and the and the scales fall away. And um, and I just in thinking about like what what if Ananias had had a Jonah moment? What if Ananias said, "No, he's our enemy. I'm getting on a boat to Tarshish, you know, like that, and I am running away from what God, what you're telling me, because I don't want to do that." Um, all, again, all of Western history hung in the balance with Ananias. Um, but, but he was obedient. And I think that is... Inc- I mean, it's, just think of some of the crazy things God calls us to do. But that has got to be one of the craziest. Where God brings a guy uh, who is just trying to be a faithful Christian. He says, I'm gonna, you go to the worst persecutor you've ever heard of. Who's probably just lying. going to take you to jail and welcome him in the name of Jesus. And, um, and so he does it. And uh, you can imagine that the disciples were a little uh, in Damascus were a little unsure. Now I have read, and I have not been to Damascus, and um, I'm not going to Damascus. I don't have any plans to go to Damascus. But I hear that you can still see the street called Straight there, and there's still a, you can still find Judas's house where uh, this is not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. Um, and uh, you can still find that that there's the arches um, that sort of where you walk through down the street called Straight. Um, anyway, so the, he was with the disciples at Damascus. He immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, saying, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, how could he prove that Jesus was the Christ? The Old Testament. Right? He knew the Old Testament cold. You know, he had that thing memorized backwards and forwards because he was a zealous Pharisee. And all of a sudden, it clicked for Saul that he is both the... Uh, victorious Messiah and the suffering servant. And he, of, of the Old Testament. And he began to argue that. Then he went back to Jerusalem and started hanging out with the apostles. And they're like, oh no. <laughs> no. But, what happens is that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now Barnabas, remember Barnabas, his name is John, but his name, his name means son of encouragement, Barnabas. He's a, he's a patron. He's, he's a, an encourager. He's, he's, um, so he goes and he holds up Paul before the apostles. And Paul then goes off to Antioch, which is north, well north, uh, there and they're in church and he's there for like 17 years just learning about Jesus and, and, and ministering and making tents and whatever he's doing 
And uh, Barnabas is kind of his mentor. And uh, Barnabas had been there at the beginning. He was there when um, uh, was An- is Ananias also and, and Sapphira. That uh, they were um, and, and all of that uh, at the beginning. Barnabas came. Barnabas is the patient. Barnabas is the one that stood up for Paul. And actually, Barnabas, if we go to chapter 10, Barnabas is with Saul, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them while they're fasting and praying, now almost 20 years later, and says, um, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have commanded. There's not a lot of fanfare. They just get up and go. They pray over them, and they get on a ship, and they head west. And they go to Cyprus and Paphos, and then they head up to uh, what's now Turkey. It's called Galatia. When Paul writes later to the churches in Galatia, it's all around Lystra and Derby, and these these um, Galatia wasn't a town; it was it was a region. And so there's several churches there on his first missionary journey that he began to just talk about the resurrection. And uh, it's pretty amazing because when he goes to one of these towns, uh, he says uh, he talks about Jesus, and they are just enthralled. They say, "Please come back next week to synagogue and tell us all about this." And it says the whole town showed up. Like, I just always think about that. Like, I love thinking about the all of Mandarin showing up uh, here next week for the Instructed Eucharist, or whatever it is, you know, for you. Like, it just, it just, every, it's all anybody could talk about, that Jesus had captured, this message of Jesus had captured the, um, the, the heart and the awe of the apostles. This is now, again, 17 or 18 years after his conversion, but Saul is, just has been in it. He's been learning the word, uh, the, the old, what we would call the Old Testament, the, um, but seeing the Hebrew Scriptures through the lens of what he knows to be true because Jesus has appeared to him. The Holy Spirit has continued to, to speak to him and now has raised him up. <coughs> and it says that, there's a, a, that uh, John was with them. And it was just a young man named John who was also called Mark. John Mark is his name. And at some point, um, we see that uh, John was with him, but, but actually John left to go back to Jerusalem. And it kind of says it really um, nonchalantly. Uh, this is chapter 13, verse 5. They had John with them, verse 13. John left from, um, from Perga in Pamphylia, which is on the coast of Turkey, uh, and he left them and returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas split up. Like they come to such heated argument about this because uh, they're getting ready to go out to a, a, on their missionary next missionary journey, and Barnabas says, we're going to take John with us, John Mark. And Paul says, no, he left us. He can't come with us. But Barnabas is the encourager. He is the patron. And he stands up for Mark just like he stood up for Paul. Paul goes off and does amazing things. Barnabas takes John. John Mark, and he goes off, and you know who they end up, according to church tradition, who they hook up with? Peter. John Mark became an apprentice to Peter and wrote the Gospel of Mark, which became the primary source for the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. And here we are today. It's amazing that even in that conflict that God used that. Anyway, so many little rabbit trails we could go off. So, we're in chapter 13. Barnabas and Saul are sent off. They go, they go off. Um, and they end up in a, another town called Antioch. Antioch was in um, 
north of, of Jerusalem. But then they go to Antioch in Pisidia, which is in Turkey. And they preach uh, to the men of Israel and you who fear God. This is the ones who... Um, so they're preaching to follow Jewish followers, either ethnic Jews or Gentile believers in the, um, in the Jewish God. And the message of Jesus, if you were to go and read, I'm not going to read it now, but the message of Jesus is put solidly in its Old Testament context. And then again, the next week, the whole city turns out and the Jews get jealous. Let me read, starting with verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city uh, gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Gosh, that's exciting to me. Every time I read that. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. This is a quote from the Old Testament now. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, the ones who were the men of God, men and women of God who feared uh, the God of Israel, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole regions. This is... Just right halfway through the first missionary journey, this is where Paul becomes the missionary to the Gentiles. Because the Jews wouldn't have it. Now Peter stayed with the Jews and he became and, and uh, as did the brother of Jesus, James, and they ministered to the Jews. So God's working with the Jews, he's working with the Gentiles. But aren't we glad, most of us, aren't we glad that he um, that he ministered to the Gentiles? Because most of us here are Gentiles. Probably some here have Jewish heritage, but most of us. I am a Gentile. So um, they go on throughout the region of Galatia. Well, that's the end of, of my notes. I hope that you will read that. But I hope that you will also, um, starting with Jerusalem Council, which we're going to spend some time with next week, all the way to the end, um, Paul tell, retells his story several times, several times throughout here, and as if Luke, who wrote Acts, is saying how important Paul's story is. Um, so think about... This what I mean, what jumps out at you the conversion story the missionary stories what what sort of or what questions do you have about we've got a couple minutes what 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 do you think honey what do you yeah Me? yeah what have I what have I left out <laughs> yeah no no the other honey yeah yeah. yeah. Never know. The, the conflict that you are facing or the struggle that you're facing, you know, you never know how God, you know, like I think about the thing with John and Mark, like they were, when they were in that, Barnabas was like, uh-uh. Yeah, or no, Barnabas was like, he can go. And Paul, saw, Paul was like, no. And, and mm. yet, look at, look at how that ended up working to, to God's glory. Like you never know. And I also think about, I never put it together. There was 17 years between yeah, he mentions that in one of his letters. Like yeah. that, those people in Antioch that were that were there just encouraging him and loving on him, and you know, like. That yeah, he didn't just pick up and go. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't. Not a question, but just 
Mr. Daver. I, I just keep thinking if if Jesus was going to do the same thing today, who would he select? You got all these, you know, listen to the news, you got all kinds of uh, people that are called out for evil doings of one type or another and uh, persecutors throughout, I'll say modern history. But if you said, well, you know, who would he pick out that would sort of be parallel to, to Saul in those days? would be sort of a notorious persecutor or something like that. And then how would everybody else accept what that person was saying after they were converted? Maybe so. I, uh, <laughs> maybe so. Yes. I think he does in little ways. Like I, I don't know their names, but they're these two men. Oh, did he? Really? Downtown Jacksonville, and they go around and talk to... It's about about they their audience is gangs to oh yeah and one of the two men is a former i mean i don't know all of his crimes but mm -hmm. it's pretty like intense. a really bad dude a really bad dude yeah and he's now a really good dude yeah <laughs> and well, doing good a really good dude with street cred right yeah, yeah. so yeah right. I mean, listen, there's stories like that, that that don't make the news you know and and um that are just all over the place you know, I mean, it's just, again, it's a sinner being saved. It's, some of it is socially a really bad sin, and some of it is socially not that bad. But before God, it's all sinners being saved. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Melinda. When I get older, I see that when I was younger, I would kind of like run or try to make nice, nice for people that came into my life that I feel that are disruptive or arrogant. You know, try and kind of change them a little bit and stuff. But as I get older, I feel that there's a reason why God puts them in my life. Mm. Either he puts me in their life or them in my life because I'm supposed to learn something or grow in a different direction. So I tend to look at it more as a positive thing than a negative thing. Yeah, yeah. You know. that's, that's interesting. I mean, I don't disagree. It's interesting that your mind sort of went from here to, to that place. But, I, yes, God gives us porcupines to keep us yeah. humble every now and then. <laughs> keep us, you know, yeah. deflated. No doubt about that. Yeah, last one, Mary Jo. I thought we were with the girls at her song, and to hear their stories mm. and to hear how God has changed their lives and to read the Bible with them and to see their lives turn and to blossom. As one girl said, if you're a Priscilla, fly, fly, fly like a butterfly, we discussed. And it, it, to see that transformation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what we're hoping for, right? For the that's why we invest in her song and why you guys go and make dinner and hang out with them. That's fantastic. Well, the thing is with Jesus, you know, sin is never the end of the story. Not even death is the end of the story. It's just it's just uh, what a gracious, gracious and amazing God that He constantly is is inviting us in. If you look at the very last couple of verses in Revelation in the whole Bible. Come, come. The spirit and the bride say, "Come." You know, like it says, even at the the end of time, there's still the door still open. Please, so pretty awesome, pretty awesome. Uh, grateful for Paul's story, and grateful for his ministry because that's why we're here. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.